Welcome to Enid Monthly In-Depth, the podcast with Enid people for Enid people. Today's guest is Tim Starkey, the CEO of Great Salt Plains Health Centers. We had a great talk about rural health care, what Great Salt Plains Health is doing to meet the increasing need for health care in Northwest Oklahoma, and what kind of needs Enid Northwest Oklahoma will have in the future. I hope you find this chat as interesting as I did. And as always, if you enjoy these podcasts, like and subscribe to the pod on Apple or Google Pods, Spotify or Anchor, pick up a copy of the Enid Monthly all around town, and check out our website at enidmonthly.com. In the meantime, here's Tim Starkey. Hey, this is Robert Falk, and I'm here with Tim Starkey, the CEO of Great Salt Plains Health Center. How are you, Tim? I'm good. How are you? Good I'm to be good. here. Well, hey, I'm really excited that uh, that you're here with me today, and we're going to talk a little bit about Great Salt Plains and talk a little bit about healthcare needed uh, and uh, kind of some policy stuff. Is that cool with you? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right, great. Well, tell us a little bit about you, Tim. What, where'd you come from? Well, as far as um, my personal background, I grew up in southwest Kansas in the little town of Hugerton. So um, grew up there, uh, became a, a lab tech shortly out of school. So my background is in lab and hospital and Found myself um, managing a lab in a hospital in Guymon, Oklahoma, in 1990, and worked my way up through administration. Um, was eventually the CEO of Great of uh, Memorial Hospital of Texas County in Guymon, and uh, then came to Great Salt Plains Health Center Incorporated um, in 2008, just shortly after they opened in January. So I came in April, right after the company opened here. So did you grow up in Northwest Oklahoma? I grew up in Southwest Kansas. Okay. So yeah, out, out just north of Guymon in in Southwest Kansas, near Liberal. All right. So getting to, getting to Guymon wasn't that big of a sw- no. A it was close you. close by there. Yeah, right. that was home. And so Enid's the big city for you then, huh? Enid's the big city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, so wife and I lived in Alva um, for about ten years. So for the first ten years, I worked for this organization. We lived in Alva, and we we moved to Enid about four years ago. Okay. Yeah, so well, good. Well, and where'd you go to college at? So I went to college um, for my bachelor's degree, actually, at Panhandle State University. have a, a Bachelor of Technology from Panhandle State University and a Master's in Business Administration from the University of Phoenix. Now, Panhandle State, that's a good... Is in Goodwill. Goodwill. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yep. Out near Grimen. Yeah, that's a that's a, a fun drive out that way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it, I miss being closer to the mountains. We were, we were about four hours from the mountains when we lived out there. Enjoy so going to Red River. Nice. Yeah, Colorado and New Mexico, both. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and so you... you you said that you uh, had some experience at some other clinics and things and then came to Great Salt Plains about four years ago? No, 13 years ago. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, 2008. So, right. yeah, I've been here for quite a while. Um, when I came to the organization, we had five employees, um, uh, about a 2,000-square-foot building in Cherokee. Um, just did medical and um, had a part-time counselor, and we've grown to – Almost 100 employees now. We're just in the mid-90s on numbers of employees, and we have four sites. So well, great. Grown well, a lot. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Great Salt yeah. Plains in just a second. Let's go back to you mentioned your wife. And so, yeah. Uh, so um, wife, Terry. Um, we live here in Enid. Now we have um, four grown children. Um, they live pretty close by, uh, three of them in the Oklahoma City area and one in, in the Fairview area. We have um, three grandsons and a granddaughter. So well, great. Well, it's yeah. nice that they stuck stuck around a little, at least a little fairly close. close. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, so you said you came to Great Salt Plains about thirteen years ago. You're over in Fairview, uh, and uh, was there just we're, one clinic? We were in Cherokee. Cherokee. Sorry. So yeah, we started in Cherokee. Um, 
a group of individuals from the community, um, Mayor Karen Hawkins, along with other members of the community, um, learned about a grant that was available for a federally qualified health center. So um, they applied for it, hired a grant writer, wrote a grant, applied for the grant, and received that in 2007. Um, and then we're able to get the clinic open by January of 2008. So, What was the grant specifically for? So the the Bureau of Primary Health Care um, is a division of HRSA, which is a division of HHS, of the federal government. So basically, um, they provide grant money to take care of low-income uninsured folks for primary medical, behavioral health, and, and dental care. Okay, so that first clinic, it started with a doctor? Started with um, a doctor, and we went through several providers. Eventually, um, Dr. Keenan Ferguson um, worked for us for the first about four years I was there. So one doctor ended up hiring a nurse practitioner before too long, um, slowly added other services as we went along. Now, did those members of the community, did they have a background in healthcare? They did not. Just an interest in the community and economic development for Alfalfa County and Cherokee and um, just basically members of the community who are interested in um, restoring some medical care to the to the community. Well, that's uh, certainly in rural Oklahoma. That's been a, a very big issue uh, that we've had a significant decline in the availability of resources in rural Oklahoma. Absolutely. there There's a definitely a lack of, of resources. We can talk about that some more, too. Sure. Well, did uh, whenever that started, you, you, it was just that one clinic there in Cherokee. Uh, and so at some point, you decided to uh, expand? Correct. Occasionally, um, the federal government offers other opportunities for grant money to add additional sites and services. So um, as opportunities came along, um, we applied for and received a grant for another site in Medford. Um, And then after that, we we saw a big need in Enid that was not being fulfilled. Low-income folks, uninsured folks, um, as well as a Medicaid population that wasn't being served. So we actually added the Enid Clinic um, without any additional grant money. Um, so, and then after that, we added the Canton site with grant money. So just following basically some opportunities that are available through the federal government once in a while to, to just add services. Um, the smaller towns, it's really difficult to run a medical practice um, and be financially viable without some kind of assistance. So, is that in pretty much any small county? In general, yeah. In general, the smaller towns, it's just it's just really hard to do that. What were the challenges in the first few years uh, opening the clinic there in Cherokee? So mostly staffing issues, trying to find um, qualified uh, folks to work, you know, to see to see patients, medical folks. Um, we had dental services limited at that time. We we were paying the, the Oklahoma Dental Foundation to bring their dental van out. Um, the Mobile Smiles came out to see us about once a month, and so we had to find a dentist to work in there and, and all kinds of staffing issues as we put together that, that clinic. Now, you mentioned that y'all were a nonprofit, and so explain the difference between a nonprofit and a for-profit model of healthcare clinic. So, so in terms of we are truly a nonprofit community-based organization. Um, we are a 501c3 organization and, and can definitely receive donations. Um, and that's a requirement for the grant money. So we have to be a nonprofit organization um, to receive the grant money. So it's, it's truly 
that the government wants us to be a community-based nonprofit organization. Um, so we're not here to make a profit. Any any profit we get goes back into the business, either in terms of emergency funding, you know, funds to to provide for a rainy day fund, or back into the the organization with other services and equipment as we can afford that. That's really neat. And, and so you said that the grants for three of the four clinics are grant uh, grant funded. Correct. Is that a hundred percent or mostly? Um, close no, to 100%? actually, the way the government looks at that is they give us one chunk of grant money, um, and we have promised to operate four clinics with that grant money. About 30% of our revenue annually is from grant money. So about 70% of that comes from insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid, and private pay citizens paying for their health care. So it's it's not totally grant funded at all. Okay. So does that does uh, does that end up cash flowing? I mean, are you? Uh, We're at a. Uh, we operate at about a break even every year. So ebbs and flows a little bit, but certainly as there's more money available, we choose to do more services. And that's so. kind of your your the model, right? I mean, right. You're, you're not uh, expected to keep a million, no. make a million dollars. And, a year. and we don't budget a huge profit. Okay. Uh, and so w- you said it was difficult to find staffing. Is that uh, true? And we'll talk about Enid specifically in a minute, but but in Canton, Medford, and, and at Cherokee? Is yeah, that- it's true throughout the area. You know, when I lived in Guymon, I was recruiting doctors to the Guymon area and, and thought, wow, that's really difficult. But I was surprised when I came to Enid to find out it's it's equally as difficult as it was back then in Guymon. Um, it's just hard to get medical providers. There's a huge shortage of, of providers at all. Um, so it's just hard to get them to come to these communities um, in rural Oklahoma at all. Now, in the smaller clinics, the, in the in smaller towns, mm-hmm. do they all the, are they staffed with a full-time doctor, full-time nurses, and that sort of thing? It, well, it's, it varies a little bit. In Cherokee, we have two full-time doctors um, and a PA. In Medford, we have a full-time nurse practitioner. In Canton, we have two nurse practitioners. And then in Enid, we have one doctor, and the rest are a mix of nurse practitioners and PAs. Okay. So, uh, do they stick around? Most of them stick around? We have pretty decent luck with that, yeah. Um, our model for recruiting has become find local people and help them get through school, and they come back and live where they grew up, basically. That's the most effective recruiting. That's That sounds really smart. I, I wouldn't have thought that way, but uh, it does sound smart, to, uh, especially if you help them get through school. That would right. be a, a, a very good benefit. Yeah, it's important to keep those connections. Um, if you know of folks that are going into medical school that are from this area, keep those connections through medical school, through residency, and go ahead and bring them back if you can. Now, we've got two. We've got a DO uh, department or DO uh, school in mm-hmm. uh, Tulsa and, yeah. and obviously the MD school through you in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, is, do you all recruit through there mostly? Is- well, I think we've done both, but typically um, most of the medical students I know of from this area have been going to the, the OSU College of Medicine, the DO program. Mm-hmm. So um, I currently have two residents that are in residency that have already signed contracts to come back and work for us when they're finished with residency. So they're past the medical school stage, but they both went to the OSU program, I see. the DO program. And there's no real effective difference between a DO and an no. MD, right? 
No. Well, good. Well, the the uh, talk about what your target patient is here in Enid. When you said you saw a need here in Enid, what was that need that you saw? So in terms of the grant, um, there is a target population um, that HRSA looks at, and they want to see a certain number of low-income individuals um, and Medicaid individuals that we target, per se. Um, however, we like to build our clinics as a, as a location where anybody can come and get health care. Anybody can get behavioral health care, dental health. Um, it's for everybody. So we aren't the clinic of no other choice in most cases. We, we want to be the clinic where, um, you know, everybody wants to come regardless of their, their payer. And, and we accept anybody regardless of their ability to pay. So you, the location for Great Salt Plains here in Enid is out on 30th Street near the Jumbo over there. Correct. And uh, and so it's I've, I've been in. It's a very nice clinic. And uh, d- did you make a conscious choice to choose over there, or was that just space-related? Or Yeah, we actually did. Um, a, a lot of the, the community that really does need our services and, and does have nowhere else to get care is in that part of town. So it's nice and convenient. There are some transportation issues um, in Enid with, you know, if, if we were located in another part of town, it'd be difficult for some of those folks to get to us. So we chose that intentionally. Interesting. Well, and, uh, uh, so you said that you guys offer, uh, medical care, of course, like primary family doctor, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Primary medical care is family medicine, um, pediatrics, um, internal medicine, and women's health, OB, OB-GYN services. So those are all considered primary health care by the federal government. Okay. Uh, you said OBGYN stuff? Like, so you have they a, are. We, we have a women's health nurse practitioner in Enid. Um, we also have a contract with um, Integris OB-GYN providers to see our patients and, and see anybody regardless of their insurance class. So they wow. take, take good care of our patients as well. Well, that was news to me. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, you also provide uh, psychiatric services? We provide behavioral health services. We have a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So um, psychiatrists are very hard to find. Um, and for that matter, psychiatric nurse practitioners are hard to find. So psychiatry per se is um, difficult. Um, because of staffing challenges, but we do have counselors. We have licensed counselors. Um, I think we're up to about six or seven now. Full-time? Um, full-time spread out um, between sites. We have two in Cherokee. Um, I, I'm going to mess up if I'm not careful, but <laughs> I think I have five or six in, in Enid. Um, and then we travel out to Canton and Medford both um, a day or two a week. Okay. Uh, and then you uh, had mentioned that y- your plans for the future are to bring in a, uh, I believe, a, a, a children's doctor, correct? Pediatric. Correct. Yeah. One of the residents that we have on contract currently is um, Nick Hoffsummer, who grew up in the Enid area. Um we're very excited to get Dr. Nick back here. Um, his dad is Jeff Hoffsummer, who works for us out at the the East Enid Clinic. And so Nick will be here in the summer of 2023. And so our plans are to build a site um, at Garland Road in Chestnut. And uh, right now that the plan, we're still in the planning phases of that building, but it's should be around 6,000 square feet, should have enough room for four providers. 
and it, it'll be the first pediatric clinic for, for Dr. Nick in 2023. So we're excited about that. Well, that, that is really exciting. You know, uh, we've got lots of great family doctors that certainly see kids. Mm-hmm. I, I go to a great family doctor, uh, but pediatrics has been something that, uh, on my first child, uh, I went to a pediatrician here in town, but he retired after 60 years and that left us with one or only one or two left. And, Absolutely. And, uh, they weren't accepting patients at the time. I don't know if they are now or not, but having a, a specialty in pediatrics makes a lot of people feel. This is a real need. Um, and it's something that, you know, we, we work together with the hospitals in town and, and we're all looking for pediatricians. Um, you know, we're open to, to just serving the community the best we can. Um, and, and we all work together on that. So. Now, you also mentioned some minor dental care. Is that right? So we do, um, we do have a dental clinic in Cherokee, um, a full service. We have a dentist, a hygienist, and two dental assistants in Cherokee that is currently... Um, scheduled about two months out. So really a huge need um, for dental care. There's, there's been a huge need in Enid as well for quite a while. Um, with the recent Medicaid expansion, we're seeing the ability to actually have additional revenue through Medicaid expansion that would allow us to provide dental care in, in Enid. So we're excited to expand. We've got space in the East Clinic here in Enid and plan to build out a dental dental clinic there in the next uh, year, year and a half. Well, that's really cool. So, that's exciting yeah. plans as well. Now, you talked about that uh, you accept Medicaid and Medicare patients, and so uh, that uh, a lot of doctors are getting away from that because Correct. of the Medicaid and Medicare reimbursements. Is that something that's concerning to you guys? Or um, Yeah, it's absolutely concerning. I think one of the biggest challenges with Medicaid expansion and with Medicaid in general is having enough providers um, to meet the demand. So, um, the last I've talked to the, the healthcare authority, that was a real concern that they had that, that there wasn't enough providers caring for those folks. So yeah, it's a real concern. We do, we're doing the best we can taking care of as many as we can. And, you know, we welcome any and all providers who'd like to help. <laughs> well, you also mentioned that, uh, that, so I, I have health insurance through Blue Cross Blue Shield. You accept major insurances like we that, do. I suppose. Yep. Uh, and then you, uh, you kind of briefly touched on, uh, if you're just a walk-in patient that you can private pay. Can you explain a little bit about that process? So our, our private pay amounts, the, the amounts they pay are based on, um, income. So we have an income based sliding fee scale. Um, if, if you know anything about the federal poverty level um, that the government publishes, if you're at 100% of FPL, federal poverty, federal poverty level or below, um, we have a minimum payment. It's, it's different for each of our services, but I think the medical um, sliding fee minimum is $25. So for $25, come in with or without insurance. If your income is, is at federal poverty level or below, you pay $25 to see a doctor. Um, then it's um, adjusted by percentage up to 200%. So you still get discounts up to 200% of federal poverty level. And then above that, you pay the regular price like you would at any clinic mm-hmm. if you're not insured. Now, do you, do you guys have online scheduling? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you take some walk-ins, but probably prefer not to. Yeah. So we try to schedule, you know, as many as we can. We do, we do see a few walk-ins and we work them in when we can. Um, but yeah, we, we have added and, and I'd probably be speaking out of turn if I tried to claim, I know everything that we do now because I'm just not directly involved in that. But, um, we've added so much since COVID happened. Um, 
we have online scheduling, we have a patient portal. We've, we can talk more about telehealth, but we're doing some telemedicine and, and things like that that we had to do and wanted to do just because um, of the pandemic. So. Well, you, you brought up telehealth, and that's a that's really cool to or a really good topic to get to. Uh, with the COVID pandemic and stuff, then a lot of people were uncomfortable going to clinics and being around a lot of people, or even getting out of the house at some points. So, was that you saw a need for that and started to provide? Yeah, so some absolutely. Of that? Within a couple of weeks after the pandemic, you know, everything started shutting down. Um, we were doing telehealth full time, so we went from zero to one hundred percent in about two weeks. Um, really. Got it going quickly because I uh, just felt the need to keep people away from other people the best we could. So um, initially, we were doing a whole lot of telehealth, um, as most providers were. That has sort of backed off. I think we're down to about 90% of our visits being in-house and 10% being telehealth right now. Um, there is definitely a time and a place for, for telemedicine. Um, it works well in certain circumstances, but there's just some times where, you know, we need to see the patient in the clinic. There's just no other way around it. Um, there's also a real desire by some patients just to come to the clinic and not do telehealth. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of demand-based. Um, one thing we do, in Enid in particular, we're pretty full. Uh, most of our providers are scheduled pretty tight. Um, so it's hard to get patients in at our Enid site, but we do have um, the nurse practitioners out at our Canton and Medford sites who aren't as busy. So we'll occasionally bring a patient into the Enid clinic and then they'll be seen by a nurse practitioner that's working in Canton or Medford. And and that just helps us to take some of the load off the Enid Enid providers. Now, if so. you guys are full and can't schedule an appointment for a day or two and somebody really wants to come see somebody that day, if they want to drive to Medford, can they do that? Absolutely. Um, there's usually openings at Medford or Canton. Um, and usually Cherokee is has some openings, um, a lot easier than Enid. So yeah, for sure. Um, we have those sites available if they'd like to travel. If they have the transportation mm-hmm. ability. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that I, I've found really interesting talking to my counselor friends, uh, you know, a doctor to me, uh, they, they kind of need a little more poking and prodding and feeling, you know, whether your abdomen's tender and that kind of thing. Uh, whereas a counselor, uh, you might not need so much of that actual physical on-hand things. Yet the counselors that I talk to, they're, get, they're pretty uncomfortable with doing. They, they don't feel like it's the same uh, sort of connection that you mm-hmm. can make over the over online do you do you see any of that challenge or we, do you well it's been interesting in the last year or so with the pandemic and everything um most of our counselors were working remotely um and doing complete you know televisits for for counseling um and the the feedback was interesting it, it was in some ways more successful with um counseling than medical um but they also expressed you know it's just it's not the same you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think one of the counselors told me he was talking to a, a child, you know, through a counseling session and they're running all over the backyard with the phone, you know, and he said, that's good and bad. They're really comfortable in that situation and they opened up, you know, so it's, it's just interesting. It's just different. Some good things, some bad things. Um, but you know, we're, we're down to seeing quite a few counseling appointments back in the clinic now. Um, but we still do telehealth for counseling as well. Well, it seems like it would just the access would be a little better for some people. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure, you know, but talking to my counselor friends too, they have a real problem with no, uh, no call, no shows for sure. And, uh, I, I would, uh, I would guess that maybe 
telehealth is a little uh, a little easier to get in contact with them, and they probably still have no call, no shows, but maybe less. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's I, a fact. I or don't not, know but. if I've seen any numbers on that or not, but there is a real problem with with no call, no shows in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people, I think telehealth is is probably a little more convenient. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about you guys. Uh, uh, one of the big problems in healthcare in Oklahoma has been the lack of resources for mental health. And so having a counselor, and you talked about psych, uh, psychiatric, uh, and I believe, we, if, if I'm right, that we only have a psychi- an actual doctorate-level psycho- psychiatrist come in town a couple times a week now, and they're full, and even their nurse practitioner is full all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very difficult to find those services on, that are specialized in psychiatric medicine. Uh, and uh, it, is, is that true? Yeah, yeah, we have, we have our own struggles. Um, we have a really great um, psychiatric nurse practitioner. Um, she worked here in our Enid site for a couple years, and then she was from Texas, wanted to move back to Texas, so we accommodated that just to keep her. So she's working mostly remote from Texas now. So, you know, it's just we do what we have to do to keep good folks, mm-hmm. um, good providers. So it's a struggle. Um, it's not just psych. It's not just counseling. It's it's um, everything. There's just a struggle to keep good good professionals in the medical industry. Now, for those who may not be uh, specifically uh, involved, how, what's the difference? Why do you need a psychiatric nurse practitioner or a, psychi- a psychiatrist uh, on a staff? Um, well, it, typically the the nurse practitioner or the psychiatrist um, most of the time are the ones who provide the medication um, that's needed. So if it's just counseling, our licensed counselors can handle that. If there's a need for psychiatric medications, then um, those folks, the nurse practitioner or the the psychiatrist, handle that. Um, In a lot of cases, out of necessity, our medical providers also prescribe some psychiatric medications, but they're not as trained to do that, and so there's limitations on what they can actually do. And that's across the board for any family practitioner, right? Right, exactly. And and OSU has actually done a lot with um, the ECHO program. So they have a psychiatrist that has an echo um, session, and that is a, if you will, lunch and learn where the medical provider can get on to a um, training session with a psychiatrist and um, learn about specific cases and how to treat things better. Um, and, and OSU's goal is to really bring specialty care to the smaller rural communities through the echo project that supports these local family medicine provider. So just a way to extend what the specialists are doing. Well, this is something that's uh, real near and dear to my heart because a lot of uh, psychiatric issues and mental health issues, especially in Oklahoma, who's one of the top states in the country uh, for a number or percentage of their population that has mental health needs mm-hmm. uh, and that aren't being addressed as well, uh, is that it's changing so much these days, right? Uh, and especially the DNA profiling for which medications may work uh, and not work for you and that sort of thing, rather than it, it gives them, a instead of just guessing at what to give somebody, uh, they, it gives them a little bit better of a target, right? There's some newer technology for sure. I'm not 100% up you know, up to speed on that, but um, I do know that there's, there's some real advances. One of the things that we do as a community health center um, we integrate medical care and behavioral health care because it's one body, one mind. It's all one person 
that needs care. So in our medical visits, we do screening for depression. We do screening for substance abuse. Um, and then we can call a counselor into a medical exam to do a quick um, assessment, uh, brief intervention if they need to, and then bring those folks back for, for more extensive counseling or whatever the need is. But um, one of the real efforts we make and always have made is to, to, to reduce the stigma on mental health and, and behavioral health so that it's just another part of your care. Now we we do have a, a clinic in town that is uh, funded by the government, funded by the state, uh, to address the needs of the seriously mentally ill. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not asking you to particularly comment on that particular agency, but uh, do you see some runoff from that? That people that you guys see that are on the seriously mental mentally ill scale and and that need some direct intervention. We do our best to work with you know, work with everybody. And, and the fact is there's just a lot of need and, and limited resources. So, um, you know, we, we take what we can, we do, do the best we can. Um, you know, I know that, that we've seen patients discharged from inpatient psych that can't find a place to go, you know, so we take them, we do what we can and, and we get them in somewhere. Um, if we can't take care of them ourselves. So we all just work together on that. So talk a little bit more. You mentioned that there's a, a lack of resources. Talk a little bit about more about what those re- where that lack is. Yeah, I think just in general, just um, the lack of staffing, lack of um, funding, you know, just really more demand than there is supply. You know, it's just the age-old problem of, of supply and demand. And, and um, so... It really does end up, um, at times, all kinds of medical care, whether it's medical, behavioral health, or dental, is there is some, you know, some rationing that happens just because there's limited resources and and you, you do what you can. When you said that uh, there's a lack of funding, where would that funding typically come from? Um, well, I don't know that I have any, you know, pockets of gold or, or treasure chests full of money and and. You know, I don't know, that's a political argument about where the funding should come from. You know, so we just, we get what we can. We look for resources all the time. Um, we watch for grants. Occasionally there's there's HRSA grants for expanding behavioral health or expanding dental. Um, and we watch for those and we apply for those when they're available. Um, but I will say that um, Medicaid expansion has provided, um, you know, even if it's, Medicaid money that we're getting now on the medical side for patients that um, couldn't pay before, you know, didn't have any any way to pay. Um, we now get paid for those visits, and that's made a big difference in what we can do. Like I said, we're we're adding a dental clinic that would have lost um, before would have lost three quarters of a million dollars a year, um, and now we're able to find the money from somewhere. We put it all in one pot, medical and and dental and behavioral health. It's all, it's all revenue to us. Um, but if we can afford to do something like that, we're going to, um, and if we can add behavioral health services, we'll certainly do that. Let's talk about Medicaid expansion. That was a big topic a few years ago that, uh, uh, whether Oklahoma should get on board or not. I've got several friends that are CEO or were CEOs of, of smaller hospitals and rural communities. And they were, uh, they said, listen, if we don't do this, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, do you, do you think that that was true? Do you- oh yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, the struggles are real for all of us, but, 
um, hospitals have it particularly difficult. I mean, it's just one of those, um, you know, things where care in general is going more outpatient. Um, there's less resources for inpatient, um, and it's just less less money coming into the hospitals than than back when I was working in a hospital. So it's particularly tough, and and yeah, we all needed Medicaid expansion to continue. Um, there's just a lot has been a lot of uninsured people in Oklahoma that need care. And I believe the number I saw was it added about 200,000 Oklahomans to the uh, Medicaid That's rolls. That's the latest that? number I've seen, yeah. And so uh, that that gives people the opportunity that would, if they came in to see you before, then they might not be able to see you or they definitely wouldn't be able to go in to see somebody at one of the other clinics. Yeah, we, we provided that care to a lot of people that didn't have any way to pay before. Um, you know, they might come in and... and scrape up 20, 25 bucks to pay us, um, for an office visit that costs us a whole lot more than that. Did do the grants that you had? Is that what made the grants help? Like I said, you know, it's, it's all one big pot. You know, we get 30% of our revenue from grant money. Um, and so we do as much as we can with, you know, we don't, don't divide it out by site or anything like that. We're just here to provide care and, and uh, if we have money left at the end of the year, we invest it back in the organization. Are there uh, this? I mean, the the whole model. And I I didn't know much about Great Salt Plants until I started doing a little research for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, this model of nonprofit and uh, being community clinics like this is has has it uh, expanded to other communities that maybe other companies are doing it? Is it a, is it a good model? It, it's a great model. Um, you know, and I always tell people that. Uh, you know, politically, the federal government supports this, and it's it's bipartisan. Um, you know, both parties like it. It's something that we do require everybody pay something, and a lot of people like that. You know, that part of it. It's not free care. It's not a free clinic. Um, so it's a really, and it's a way that we can do it in a and not lose lose money. It's a way that we can break even at least. Okay. And you said everybody, so even the people on Medicaid, they pay? Or they um, pay through the Medicaid? Well, they're, the they're Medicaid insured. system pays for them. There's actually a copay, I think, for Medicaid. But oh, is there no? It's okay. a low copay, yeah. Yeah. Well, really cool. That's a, a, One other thing that I want to talk about was the substance abuse issues. I know you guys don't deal with that directly in that you don't have like a substance abuse clinic or anything of that nature. Uh, but do you guys indirectly deal with it because you have people that come in, I'm sure. Uh, do you Have you talked much about substance abuse and the, the effect on the community? That- um, I think the most recent um, really crisis we had as far as substance abuse was the opioid crisis. Um, we do have a number of our medical providers, I'm not sure how many, probably five or six that are certified to, to use um, the medication assistant treatment, um, Suboxone. Um, and so we can administer that to, to help folks with opioid addiction. And, and we do run into all kinds of substance abuse on the medical side, on the mental health side. And, and we deal with those again, the best, the best we can. And, and, um, it's not always sending them to a treatment facility. Yeah. So. Uh, along with the psychiatric needs, that uh, do you find that there is a significant substance abuse need here needed? I don't know that I can quantify, but but yeah, there's there's significant substance abuse needs. What uh, if you're looking in the next few years uh, here needed? What do you see as the biggest challenges that we're going to face? Goodness, um, you know, I think that. 
getting through the pandemic and, and coming out of the pandemic at some point, um, we just kind of need to take a breath and see where we're at. You know, it's been a trying couple of years. Um, and then we had Medicaid expansion right in the middle of it. And so it's just hard to tell how it's all going to shake out. It's, it's tough times for everybody. Um, but I think that in general, again, I would go back to just the need for, for providers and particularly my biggest focus is medical providers. There's just limited numbers of doctors around, um, you know, getting them out of the cities, out of Dallas, out of Oklahoma city, anywhere in the country. I've spent several years trying to recruit docs to Enid and you just can't even get doctors from outside of Oklahoma to look at moving to Oklahoma. Um, I asked a recruiter, you know, that I've I actually paid recruiters to look and they struck out. And I'd say, so what's the common thread? And, and one of them said, I don't know. They just don't want to come to Oklahoma. And I said, why? And, and he said, well, all I can get out of them is there's a lot of tornadoes in Oklahoma. We don't want to live there. <laughs> so um, I don't know what it is, but it's just, I think overall, just not enough just not enough doctors. Is that recruitment for the medical schools? Are they having a difficult time for that? Or is it just that people just don't want to go to rural Oklahoma? I think it's a combination of things, but I don't think there's an abundance of doctors anywhere in the country. I think it's just more retiring and, and, you know, going out of the profession than are coming in, you know? So, um, a lot of times there's not enough residency slots. There's not enough training you know in general for for physicians and then with the pandemic a lot of people don't want to go into healthcare. So. well one thing i thought was really interesting i saw yesterday was that our uh, the average family doc made about was 40th we oklahoma paid 40th in average salary for family doc but for nurse practitioners and for um uh physicians assistants PAs that we pay we were like in the teens uh, for those for average salary which I thought was really interesting and my theory was is that we because of the lack of doctors primary care physicians that we are pushing off uh, many of the functions of a primary care uh, physician to those PAs and and uh, nurse practitioners do you find that that may be true yeah it's been for several years out of out of necessity you know and and I love PAs and nurse practitioners, they do a great job. But out of necessity, um, we can't find doctors. We're definitely using more and more nurse practitioners and, and PAs. And I think there is a balance. You know, I always, um, you know, I don't know if I made this up or somebody told me, but it's always, I think, about right to have one doctor for every two mid-levels. You know, I think it works well. They can work well together and, and see lots of patients and, and help lots of people. Um, but you know, our numbers are a lot higher, a lot more mid-levels than, than doctors. So. What could our community do to help recruit those uh, professionals like doctors? Yeah, good question. If I could find, um, one to recruit, I would solicit the help from the community <laughs> to, to get them here. But, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's a bigger thing than that. It's, it's more in terms of more going to medical school, more going to residency, um, more choosing that profession. Um, I have kids of my own that decided to become nurse practitioner and PA because they didn't want to go to the medical school, the, the length of time involved in that. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people that just don't want to make that investment. Because mm. after uh, college, it's eight years, correct? It's, yeah, four year after college, it's four years of medical school and then 
three to five years of residency. Mm-hmm. Well, do uh, are, is our pay competitive in Enid uh, for doctors? Oh yeah, I think so. Uh, that's so not I mean, bad. at least for us. I mean, we we do our best to recruit them, including offering whatever they're they're needing to get to come to Enid. Um, but it's it's beyond that. We can't even get them interested sometimes. Well, I know in law school that uh, a lot of people, are, especially from the private law schools, are graduating with $100,000, $150,000 in debt. Is that pretty common for physicians? Oh, yeah. Well? I've seen um, a real common to have more than that, two, dollars $300,000 in debt um, for doctors and dentists. Both. That's wild. Uh, that I mean, obviously they're good careers with good paying salaries. But if you're making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, but paying fifty thousand dollars a year and and uh, debt service, I mean, yeah. it, it adds up real quick. Yeah, we actually have um, the advantage of, of being able to offer National Health Service Corps um, loan repayment, which is offered to underserved locations, and and our HIPSA score as a community health center. Um, provides a low enough HIPSA score that um, providers can come work for us and the government will pay some of their loans back. So that's that's helpful. Now, something that's been really big in the news over the last year or so with uh, Governor Stitt has been uh, his push to move the Medicare uh, Medicaid uh, from the state health department uh, uh, or managed uh, to a managed private care system to for have private companies manage that. Yeah. Uh, can you explain a little bit about how that pro- what that process is for managed care and whether yeah. or not that that's a good thing? So I think managed care has kind of gotten a bad a bad name. Um, you know, in general, managed care is a really broad term that just means um, we're not signing blank checks and, and here's, you know, we'll pay whatever you tell us we have to pay. Um, and I think the budget can get really out of control if you don't have some form of managed care. So I think that, um, you know, in my opinion, the governor's plan to bring in out-of-state companies to manage care allows a percentage of that money to go to those out-of-state companies. And I think that that's not necessary, in, in my opinion. But I think managed care is important and a way to control you know, the budget. So whatever the politicians decide is the best way to do it, it I, in my opinion, there needs to be some sort of managed care system. Now, right now, it's managed through the Oklahoma State Health Department, right? The health care authority, healthcare the authority. Oklahoma Health Care Authority. And yeah. uh, and I believe the numbers I saw was it was 3% or 4% or something like that is what they take for administrative cost. I don't know that number, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. So, uh, uh, and then a managed care company would take a percent, they would get rid of the health care authority and then and the the managed care company would take whatever percentage they contracted with the state. Yeah. I don't know if the plan was exactly to get rid of the healthcare authority, but, um, those managed care companies have done it a lot throughout the country. Um, they're really good at it. If, if you want, and they charge a good price mm-hmm. for that. So um, some of them are really, some of them have worked out well and some of them have totally failed is from what I've seen. From yeah. The there the is a, a very, um, broad range of, of success and failure, I think. Okay. So, well, uh, that's a, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to turn up. There's been several lawsuits and, and yeah. things that have gone and, and I haven't kept up with it quite a lot lately, but that was definitely a big thing that, uh, that doesn't, does that affect you guys if it does get turned over to a private company instead of the healthcare authority? Um, I think as a community health center, we can work either system. I mean, it, it, it works, you know, it's, it's fine for us either way. Um, and we can we can work with just a straight fee for service system as well. So, um, you know, I think in terms of what's good for us or bad for us, it doesn't really impact us too much. Just that we have 
payment now for a lot of people that didn't have any kind of insurance before. That's the biggest thing. Now, one um, of the big concerns a lot of times with managed care is, is that those managers are, are not doctors that are t- approving or dis- disallowing mm-hmm. certain tests and, and uh, uh, services. Now, with you guys, you guys uh, are, since you're a primary care physician and, and uh, family doctors and that sort of thing, uh, is there much of that, that that you would worry about approval or disapproval? Um, or It's a little more complicated than that. I mean, every insurance company has certain rules so you know whether it's blue cross and blue shield or or humana or anybody there's a number of insurance companies that you have to get prior approval you have to ask permission to send them to get an mri or a ct or whatever um so that's really common we navigate that system all the time um with if you're talking about medicaid um you know i think that Right now, there's still rules. There's still things you have to get approved through Medicaid to do. So um, it's really not that big of an issue for us. I mean, it's it's a pain, and but everybody does it. It's just another person to, just another, to go through. Another thing to do, another two or three employees that of ours that have <laughs> to do it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's one thing. Um, in terms of managed care in general, there's lots of forms of managed care. Um, accountable care organizations or ACOs are really common and we actually belong to one for Medicare patients where if we oversee their care and it costs the government less than it cost before because we're managing their care, then there is a savings to the government and they split that with us. Oh, wow. That's a, so that's another, that's another form of managed care. And that's actually what they're talking about for Medicaid as well. So that, you know, if, if we were in a Medicaid ACO, for example, um, us, along with a bunch of other providers, would team up together to provide the most cost-effective, qu- and there's quality measures there, too. So we have to give good quality care, but we also do it as cheaply as we can, and we don't waste government money. Then in the end, it saves the government money, and we get some of that back as well. That sounds like a really good plan. So that's how an ACO works. And that's just another form of managed care. Okay. So there's lots of ways to skin that managed care cat. Well, what, you know, uh, 30 years ago, you would see a lot of family doctors open their own shops or even surgeons and, and that sort of thing. And nowadays you don't see that very much at all. Uh, and part of that is, is just because of the overhead and the uh, the bureaucracy that you have to go mm-hmm. through to file claims and, and deal with those things. Uh, uh, did you Did you all have those challenges when you first started? So again, I think that's just part of doing business in today's healthcare world. Um, we've always navigated that sort of thing. And, and I think one of the things that's appealing about our organization to providers is that they're an employee just like anybody else. They come to us, we pay them a salary, and and they don't have to worry about the business operation side of it. So um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but it's one that we and all the hospitals we deal with, we accept it. Are you concerned that we're going to have a loss of, uh, of other primary care physicians and, and uh, resources to address uh, both the physical and the mental health needs of our, our citizens here in Enid specifically, or are we doing okay? I, I think we're doing okay. I think we just have to stay a, ahead of that ball in terms of, you know, people aren't going to live forever and people aren't going to practice medicine forever. And, you know, so as we age and as our providers age, we just got to have to got to keep bringing in younger ones. Um, you know, we got to stay ahead of that and, and make it a part of our, 
our business to, to bring more medical providers to the community. And I assume that's not just for GSP, but for, uh, for the community the in general. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, besides the lack of uh, actual physicians, do you see any other issues that we're going to really need to have to deal with in the next few years? Um, not off the top of my head. I mean, it's just day to day sometimes. All right, great. Well, we're really excited to have you in Enid. I hope you've really, what, what have you liked best about Enid moving from the uh, panhandle? So, um, we like Northwest Oklahoma because that's where our kids and grandkids are. So, um, in terms of where we live, you know, it's for family and, and, you know, our lives outside of work are, are pretty much about family. So that's the best part is having, having loved ones here. What is a great place to raise a family? I know my my two kids, I've been really happy with all the opportunities that they've been able to have here in Northwest Oklahoma, a little different from where I grew up in Oklahoma city. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely the small town feel. So it's great. Well, good. Any other, any big plans that uh, you guys have uh, long-term plans over the next 10 years? Um, Our big things right now are, are building a new site in West Enid and, um, starting our pediatric practice there and then adding dental to the to the east side um so those will keep us busy for a couple of years well that's really exciting i uh, uh i just can't say enough how impressed i've been over the last few days learning about great salt plains and and uh, just the different things that you guys do and do for the community and and reach the people that really need uh, access and because uh, uh, you know it's it's hard for a lot of people it is and and that's what we're here i mean we're here to serve the community um, all of our communities that we serve throughout the Northwest Oklahoma area um, and really try to just work with everybody. Um, competition in healthcare is just not a good thing, um, whether it's, you know, the big cities, Dallas, Oklahoma City, wherever, where large organizations are competing for a market share of healthcare. It's just, it's just not the way to do healthcare. And so, um, you know, we're trying to bridge that gap and, and just get along with everybody and, and work together with everybody. And, and that's what we're here for is to provide just good quality care to, to people in general. Well, thanks for the chat, Tim. And I, uh, uh, good to meet you and good to learn a little bit more about Great Salt Plains. Enjoyed talking with you. Thanks. Thanks, Tim.